as we sing and believe that, God. There's nothing that can stand between your love. There's nothing that can stand up against your power, your sovereignty, and we cling to that, God. We believe in that. We believe you are faithful in what you said is true, that your word will endure forever. Help us to have confidence in that tonight, God. Speak to us through your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's all right. What's the worst thing that could ever happen to you? What do you fear the most? What do you think is the worst thing that could ever happen to you? You ever think about that very often? Anybody over here? What do you think is the worst thing that can ever happen to you? Is there anyone? Lose a kid. Man, yeah. Second? Being paralyzed. Yep, I agree with both of those. Anybody from this group, the worst thing that you think could ever happen to you? Losing your mother, you've experienced that, hadn't you, Michael? Say again. Go flying, go blind. Yep. Loss of hearing. How about the biggest smart aleck on the front row? <laughs> Going mute. Not able to hear. Okay. Being separated from God. Yes, ma'am. Loved ones being separated from God. It's horrible. That's a difficult, difficult thing, man. It's painful. Painful to lose people that you don't have any confidence in their salvation. Golly, it rips your heart out. It causes lots of guilt. You try to figure it out. What could I have done different? How could I have done it? Anyone else? What's the, what do you believe is the worst thing that could ever happen to you? The worst thing that could ever happen to you. It's, it's rough. My dad had it. And I just knew there was going to be a day when he, he would say, who, who are you? When he was in the hospital after his injury and had the surgery, uh, he went through that. And, and the nurse came in, and, and I was sitting by him. I'd been there all night long. And the nurse came in and uh, turned on the light to check on him. And he said, lady, this man right here, They've been sitting there for a while, and I don't know who he is, but he said he knows my son, and I want you to get him out of here. And I went, Dad, it is your son. But I went, whoa, that's, that's definitely things to come. Yep. Sometimes I'll forget things, and I wonder. Mad cow, mad cow coming, mad cow. Yeah, I worry about that too. What's the worst thing? Yes, ma'am. Lou L, L something, E-L-S, E-L-O, what is it? A-L-S, yes, ma'am. I'd like to have some E-L-O, though, but not A-L-S. Many of you don't know who E-L-O does. You kids go home and Google that. Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah, I think... We probably all can share 
that those fears you brought up are some of the worst things that could ever happen to us. All right. Oh, I'm back. All right. Habakkuk. Last week we talked about faith, and today I want to talk about hope, the great hope. We have hope no matter what. And to be able to take those things that you fear the worst and put hope and allow hope to overwhelm the fear. And Habakkuk, I think, tells us how to do that. And I want to give you some background. Look in Habakkuk chapter 1. In verse 1, he says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. The oracle. Oracle means the prophecy, but it also has a root meaning of weight, burden. Man, I, I can't imagine what it was like to be a prophet in the Old Testament to hear the word of the Lord and hear that it's judgment or to see the events that would be unfolding in a short period of time in your life, to see the destruction of people that you love, the place that you love, the tremendous weight that it would carry. And, and then, of course, to deliver the message and no one listens to you. Well, that'd be difficult. The life expectancy of the prophet wasn't, wasn't very much. They did not like the prophets. They did not care for the prophets. And the prophets would come and bring truth. Pretty much all we know about Habakkuk is found in Scripture. Nothing else do we know about him. And, but he, he saw this prophecy, and it's difficult. We'll just look at verses 2 through 11 now and kind of get an idea of what he saw. And in verses 2 through 4, Habakkuk, he's had enough. And he goes to the Lord, and he says, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Are you not listening to me? And you will not hear? What's going on here? How long? How long shall I cry for help and you not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? How come all this violence is going on around me, Habakkuk says, and you're not doing anything about it? How come I cry out to you all the time, Lord, and you're not doing anything about it? It's like you don't hear me. What's going on here? I mean, our... Jerusalem's getting bad, he would say. The streets are getting bad. Starbucks are closing. It's getting bad. We can't open Starbucks because of all the criminal activity. Nobody's doing anything about it. We don't want to walk the streets at night because criminals are being let go. You don't do anything about it. God, where are you? That's pretty much what he's saying, kind of like today, right? Why do you make me see iniquity? Haven't you asked that? Haven't you asked the Lord that, Lord, why is so much bad stuff going on? What in the world's happening here? I mean, how come sin is so out in the open now? I mean, people just walk down the street and they get punched in the head. They just go about their business, they get stabbed. I mean, every day if you watch the news, you see something like that. The, the, the race car driver was just getting gas in Los Angeles and he was stabbed. Getting gas. Why did that guy do that? What did he have against him? I mean, there's nothing personal about it. It's random violence that's going on. Lord, why don't you do something about that, Habakkuk says. And he says, why do you make me see iniquity? Why, what have I done that, that makes you cause me to see iniquity? Why do I got to see so much wrong? And he says, why do you look idly at the wrong? Why aren't you doing anything about it, God? He says, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Sounds like today, doesn't it? 
Sounds like today. You, you see poll after poll now. You see survey after survey. People are stressed out. People are full of anxiety. I mean, there's just depression. I mean, there, there's so much depression going on, not only in our country, not only in our surrounding, but across the world. I mean, we've been through so much. You know, the COVID thing and the, now the, the inflation stuff and the political stuff and everything that's going on. There, there's a lot of strife, a lot of contention. There's a lot of road rage to now. Be real careful after the road. People are losing their mind. I mean, how many times just recently have you witnessed someone just beside themselves because something didn't go their way on the freeway? You know, somebody might have made a mistake and came over on them or, you know, whatever's going on. And people just, I mean, people are getting shot up. There's a lot of contention. There's a lot of strife. And then look in verse 4. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. There's a lot of that today. For the wicked surround the righteous. It does appear that there's far more wicked than righteous. No question about that. So, just, so justice goes forth perverted. Even when justice moves forward, it's perverted justice. We live in the day where the wrong is right and, wrong, and, and right is wrong. We live in a day where the craziest, you know, philosophies are, are leading in our world today. I, I, I read an article just the other day that there's a movement now to take away the three strikes, you're out thing. You know, the three strikes, you're out, do three crimes of the same kind of deal, then you're out. I mean, you had two opportunities and you didn't learn, so, and, and they want to do away with that. I don't know. Change it in baseball, six strikes. Hall of Fame's going to grow. I mean, if you had six strikes, you might get something, right? Man, justice is perverted. Habakkuk's day sounds a lot like our day. So we're going to learn from Habakkuk today. The Lord's answer to, to Habakkuk, verse 5, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. Look at him. He says, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Habakkuk, you think I'm not doing anything, but I am. I'm doing something, Habakkuk. For behold, he says, I am raising up the Chaldeans that bitter and hasty nation. Now, Cal, the Chaldeans are from what, if you, if, you, if you can get your geography map, brain going and look on the map, you got Iraq, you got Iran, you got the Gulf of Persia, and you've got Kuwait right at the bottom of Iraq. That's based, the southern Iraq and Kuwait, and that area is, is the Chaldean area. That's where Abraham was from. He says, for I am raising up the Chaldeans. And so our day and time, it'd be the Kuwaitis or the Iraqis or a combination of both. I'm raising them up. Now, the answer, Habakkuk, you're, you might like less than your complaints. I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe it told for. Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, 
who march through the breadth of the earth, to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than, the e- than evening wolves, hungry wolves in the evening. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff. (laughs) They're scoffers. And at rulers, they laugh. Jeroboam's no big deal to these guys. Josiah, no big deal. Amaziah, no big deal. No kings are going to bother them. They scoff at him. They laugh at rulers. They laugh at every fortress, Jericho, Megiddo. Laugh at it. Jerusalem, no big deal. Bethlehem, that fortress, no, no big deal. We'll ride right on in there. For they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. They love the parades the Chaldeans do, the mighty nation, you know, all their missiles, all their tanks, all their horses, all their chariots, all their, all their footmen, all their mighty warriors, in, in, in all their battle armor and all that they have. They just love to parade and cheer them and look how powerful we are. Their faith, their trust was in their own might. Not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. Now, move forward and look at the very last phrase in verse 16 of chapter 3. Verse 3, verse 16. He says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So, so what Habakkuk sees is we see in the rest of chapter 1, 2, and the first of chapter 3 is because of the sin of the Israelites, because of their apathy towards God, because of their idol worship, because they're not following the law, because they're not obedient to God, God is raising up the Chaldeans to come in and is going to destroy them. It's the captivity of Babylon. That's what Habakkuk saw. There wasn't anything they do about it. They were, this, it, it, was, it was just a, their power is too great. The army's too great. They have too much money, too many resources, too many men, too, too, many, too many weapons. They can't stop them. They're going to come in, and they're just going to wipe them out. And so here are the lessons of hope from Habakkuk when you face terminal illness, loss of a child, when you face the worst thing that could ever happen to you. This is, this is the hope that he finds. Now, to go to the depth of his angst here, look in verse 17, chapter 3. 
Habakkuk says, when this happens, when the Babylonians come and take over, there's no hope in the future. There's no hope in the present. And there's no hope that we can hold on to from the past. He says it this way in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Now, when you, when you see fig trees blossom, plum trees blossom, peach trees blossom, when, when you see plants blossom, you see tomatoes begin to put on those little yellow blossoms. It's a sign of hope. We're going to have a crop this year. Life is going on. He says, the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruits be on the vines. And so this situation, he compares it to complete hopelessness. Hopelessness. The, the fig trees are not going to bloom. The, the grapes are not going to they're not going to mature. They're not going to bud out. There's not going to be anything that we can hope in. We're not going to say, oh, the crop looks good. There's a good possibility this year. We're going to have a good harvest. Nothing like this. There's no hope in the future. And then he says, and the produce of the olive fail. The life state of, of, of their life. It's, it's everything to them. They used olives for so much. He said, man, there's no olives this year. No olives this year. And the fields you yield no fruit. You plant, you water, you cultivate, you go out there with a hoe and, and, and you get rid of all the weeds, you take care of your land, but, but nothing produces. Nothing worse than that. So th there's absolutely no hope in the present. What we see out there in those fields is hopelessness. That's the way life is going to be for us when the Babylonians come and take over. And he says, nothing from the past can we anchor to for hope. He says, the flock be cut off in the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. So in the agricultural world, when they're looking at this, they're, how they live life, how they go about things, this is what they understand. The 401k is gone. There's no money in the bank. The stock market collapses. Gas is $15 a gallon. The meat is $30 a pound. You can't go buy eggs because it's too expensive. You can't go and buy anything. Not, not only can you not go buy it because it's too expensive, but there's nothing in the shelves. You walk in and it's all gone because they can't afford to get it to market. It doesn't grow. There's a, there's a lack of produce out there. That's what he's describing here. There's no hope from the past, present, or future. We don't have anything to look forward to. There's nothing because of Babylon's activity in our land and how powerful they are and their ruthlessness over us. We just have nothing. There's nothing to hope in here. That's what he says. And in verse 16, he, he gives, us the, gives us insight to how he is with it. He says, I hear and my body trembles. Remember, he saw this oracle. He saw this prophecy. He saw what was about to happen. He saw what it was going to be like for the Babylonians to come in and, and take them in exile, and, and God was going to use them to judge Israel. And his body's trembling. He says, my lips quiver 
at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. That's the impact that this prophecy has on Habakkuk. This, this is a hopeless situation. This is a painful thing for him to even look at. I can't imagine what it's like to carry this weight, to carry this oracle, to carry this burden around. But Abaca has decided up front what to do. He's already decided, even though he's hurting, even though his bones are feeling like they're rotting away, even like his lips are quivering, even like his body's trembling from, from the just horrible awareness of what's about to happen. In verses 16 and 18, we have two yets, yet. That tells us that he's already decided. He's already made a decision. This is the way things are. This is reality. Objectively, he looks at life and goes, it's not any good. It's not going to be good for us. There's going to be a time of pain. There's going to be a time of hurt. There's going to be an overwhelming time of persecution. But I've already decided up front how I'm going to respond. And, and, and one of the lessons that we need to take from Habakkuk today for hope is before the despair happens, before the worst thing that we fear might possibly happen actually happens, we need to say, this is how we're going to respond. This is what we're going to do because God is God, only because God is God. And the first yet is this. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Wow, what a, what a statement he makes. The last little phrase in verse 16. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come on people who invade us. You see, the Babylonians are going to have their heyday. It's going to be their day for a while, but God is God, and there's going to come a time of reckoning. There's going to come a time when God is going to fix this. And so I choose up front I decide because of my faith in God, because of my understanding of how powerful God is, because of my awareness of how big God is, and because I know that God is not through with us and his glory will be fulfilled. Yet I will wait patiently until those who invade us have their time of trouble. And he understands the only way that happens is, is when God intervenes again. And that's where his hope is. That's where his hope is. He wasn't going to lose, he wasn't going to lose it over something he couldn't control. He wasn't going to lose it. He wasn't going to have great anxiety. He wasn't going to be paralyzed by anxiety. He wasn't going to be paralyzed by worry. He wasn't going to run from the hills. He, he, he just was going to wait patiently. Yet I will wait patiently for God to bring trouble to those who invade us. That's one of the things we have to do 
That's what we need to prepare for if we are going to be strong when the worst thing that ever happens to us happens, if it indeed happens. When things happen that is more than we can handle, things happen that's beyond our control, things do happen, don't they? Now, just, just think for a moment. Does anybody know anybody? Does anybody know any family in our church, outside of our church, in our community? Do you know anybody, any group of people whatsoever, any, any family unit that has not had hard times? I, I sat down this week and tried to think, do I know anybody that has, that has been exempt from any kind of issues in their life? For the, for the life of me, I don't know a soul. I don't know anybody that you can say, they never had anything bad happen to them. The appearance may be they have it, but everyone goes through some hard stuff. It's, it's everyone has. And so there is a need for all of us to prepare ourselves from one thing to another. Hope. We have to have hope. And that's what Habakkuk shows us in verse 16. Look at the second yet we see here in verse 18. Although things don't look good, although the fig tree doesn't blossom, although there's no fruit in the vines, although there's no field, there's no food in the fields, although there's no olives this year, although there's nothing on the, on the store shelves, although we can't afford what's there, although there's such turmoil going on, he chose up front. He said, I'm going to wait patiently for the Lord to come about. And then in verse 8, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I will rejoice in the Lord. That's what he's saying. Although it's going to be bad, I'm here to tell you, folks, when you can know when Habakkuk stood up and says, the Lord spoke to me, and here's what he said to me. Here's what I said to him, and here's what he said back to me. It's not going to be good. You're not going to be able to walk the streets of Jerusalem. You're not going to be able to go through Bethany and live like you used to. You're not going to be safe under the, behind the walls in Jericho. You, you just, you're not going to be okay out there. In Megiddo, you can retreat to Megiddo. You can go to, you know, you, you, can, you can retreat to the, to the hills. You're not going to be safe. It's going to be horrible. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is a choice that we make. And so here's the decision I've made, Habakkuk says. Although the worst thing that might happen happens, although I see it coming, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to lose hope in my God. My God's bigger than the Babylonians. My God is faithful, and I choose to rejoice in him. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's going to rejoice in his salvation. Although they may take everything away from here, I know that I have salvation and God is the God of my salvation. I'm going to rejoice in my salvation. I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation. I'm going to rest in him. I'm going to enjoy him in all the pain, in all the heartbreak. I'm going to remain firmly fixed on him. And he is my hope. He is my strength. He says, for in verse 19, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. My feet like the deer's. First few days, this isn't a great promise of a deer's life. 
we had a little, we had a baby deer born in our yard this year. And he was up against the house. And mama was gone. And I didn't know that all this happened. And back when we mowed, remember when we used to mow? <laughs> Before the drought hit, I was mowing. And I come around the corner and there's that baby. There's that, there's that little Bambi in my yard. I went, oh, mama's not around. All right. I went, ah, I guess I should shut it off. And ah, I don't want to wait. I don't need to get it over with. And I just, ah, what do I do? And I just kind of stayed there and stopped for a minute and, boo, 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 you know, trying to get that thing to move. And uh, finally, the little Bambi gets up and starts running to the street from my house. And I'm here to tell you, it, it collapsed five or six times. It banged its head. It rolled over. It, I mean, it was just born, and the legs didn't work. And I went, there's coming a day where you'll be able to just... So hanging there, that little Bambi went to the edge of the road, just watched me mow the rest of the yard. How you doing there? How's it going? So when they're first born, you can't really claim the wonder of this promise, but when they get their feet under them, Heinz feet, amazing. Great book was written years ago, Heinz feet. How a deer manages mountains and rocks and hills. Front foot steps on a secure place. That back foot goes right to where that front foot was. Hind's feet, that's what the scripture talks about. Can go on the rocks, the rocky places, the hard place to reach. The deer can go. Some of them goats can go. They have that same ability as the deer do. God says, Habakkuk says here about God, he makes my feet like the deer's. I'm going to tread on solid ground, not because of my ability, not because of my power, not because of my strength, but because of the strength of the Lord. That's where my hope is. He makes me tread on my high places. And he ends up by saying to the choir master with string instruments. That's why most people think that Habakkuk was a prophet in the temple and, and he, just not very well known. But this is what he saw and this is what he chose to do. He was going to choose to be joyful. He was going to choose to anchor in the Lord. He was going to celebrate that God was the God of his salvation. He's going to celebrate God and he's going to celebrate salvation. That's what we do when we go through hard times. That's what we need to do. Wait patiently for God to work and just trust in, rejoice in, and celebrate that God is the God of all. He is able, and his strength is enough. And we're just going to rest in him. That's what Habakkuk did. No shortcuts, no, no, no fancy algorithm here, nothing like that. Just hope comes when we just choose God. That's how hope comes. Hope to rest in him. Some lessons from this story today I hope that you will receive today. Number one, God is always enough. God is always enough. There's never a time that God is not enough. Never a time God is lacking. Never a time that God doesn't have the answers. 
never a time that God doesn't care, never a time that God loses his power. He has no kryptonite. God is always enough. Another lesson because of the story, because of the hope that Habakkuk found, listen to this real clear, please. Hear this. It's always too early to quit. It's always too early to quit. Now, I know I could have said it this way, don't ever quit, never give up, never surrender, never, 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 never. But I want you to hear it this way. It is always, never a time it's not, it is always too early to quit. That says that God is never finished. He is never finished. It's never, it, it, is, it is always too early to quit. Quitting is never a good idea. Hang in there. Habakkuk, don't quit. I'm taking my profit bag and going home. Don't quit, Habakkuk. Hang in there. Keep on hearing from the Lord and saying what God wants you to say. Another lesson that I think supports it's always too early to quit. If the worst thing happens to you, God will be with you. And the God that is with you is always enough. So it's always too early to quit. I mean, just walk down the line. You lose a child. You lose your parents. Terminal illness. Whatever those things we said a while ago. Walk down the line. Go on down that line. Figure that out. Sort that out. Think it out. You go through that worst thing that could ever happen to you when you get down the line, is God going to be enough then? The answer is yes. Matter of fact, you will experience the peace that passes all understanding. You will experience that nothing, no problem, no struggle here compares with the glory that we reveal from heaven. If he's going to be enough then, then by all means, he's enough now. Something else that we need to take from this lesson being in control is a myth. Habakkuk wasn't in control. No one was in control. None of us are in control. And a lot of your worry, stress, anxiety today is a need to be in control. You're not in control. I'm not in control. It's a myth. We trust not control. And take today with you, yets, Y-E-T-S, the yets of life are very powerful. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be all upside down. It's going to twist. My life is going to be like a roller coaster, yet I will wait patiently on the Lord, yet I will will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Help us, Lord, to apply this today. Help us to have this hope that Habakkuk has. Help us just to rely upon him and rejoice in him today. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Ushers, please come forward.